Welcome to the intro for Electric Liberty Land, episode number 175. I got a lot of things to tell you about. Very exciting things. Number one on the list. Justin Amash will be interviewed by Mark Claire this coming Thursday, meaning that Monday's show will be a very Amash-filled episode. I hope Mark asks him the tough questions. You know I want it. We're also doing our debate coming up, guys. So uh, I know Amash has, uh, well, we're trying to get him involved. So we'll see which debate he does jump in on board with. I know Mark's also going to be on uh, Eric Larson's show, upcoming The Amash Files, a talk. What can I say? It's an Amash bit. Am I the first one to make that joke? <laughs> I hope so. I'm sure I'm not, but I hope so. Also, another thing I want to remind you guys, check out the System is Down podcast. It is fantastic. It is conspiratorial. It is libertarian-centric. Dan Spots over there hosted a libertarian debate with something like 10 or 12 of the candidates already. He is, uh, what can I say? He's ringing the Vermin Supreme bell pretty hard over there. So if you're not an Amash guy and are interested in Vermin Supreme, check out the System is Down pod on any of your podcatchers or at tsidpod.com. All right, let's jump into this thing with two feet. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Electric Liberty Land 175. All the show notes for today's episode will be available over at over why I said over that way, probably a mental deficiency <laughs> over at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 175. Now I do have a special guest that is going to be on in just a minute. One Angela McCardle. Now you guys may be familiar with her. She has been on Tom Woods show. Uh, she was on a show with Dave Smith. She's been on really getting out there, getting around slanging that Liberty. And now I have deigned it time to welcome her onto my show. But before I get into that, I do want to uh, just do a little bit of an aside because you heard me talking about the System is Down podcast. I also want to promote our Patreon where Dan Smots and I do our Rick and Morty reviews. And of course, Rick and Morty just came back on TV. I have called it in the past. I did a, uh, an episode on how it is or at least was the most libertarian show on television. And I still believe that Rick Sanchez is the most libertarian character currently on television. So we do reviews of that, breaking down the episodes. Uh, I expose some things. I put a lot of deep thought into this and expose what I think is leftist propaganda versus inherent libertarianism that Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland do, uh, do have. So anyway, Check it on out. Go to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Get in there and get involved. Little as $2 a month to join the private Facebook group and $5 gets you all of our audio content. And it goes up from there and all the little dingy ding doodles that you get, they also get attached. So uh, go spend some money. Go spend some of that stimulus cash on us, would you? All right. Now, without further ado. All right. As I promised at the top of the show, I brought in a friend of mine uh, here in Los Angeles, the chair of the Los Angeles Libertarian Party, Angela McArdle. Angela, welcome. Your debut on Electric Liberty Land. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. 
Uh, well, I had to. I mean, and now you're slumming it after going on Tom Woods and all these other programs. I, I mean, I'm insulted, frankly, that uh, just with our friendship, you didn't say, Brian, I'm going to go on Tom Woods. I need to come on your show first so that Tom Woods is getting the sloppy seconds and not the other way around. I, you know, I wanted to lower myself. I need to humble myself. That's true. And I'm going to do that with your show. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I was going to say you need to be taken down a notch. I was going to come pipe you in the knees like uh, Nancy Kerrigan at the next Libertarian convention or event, whatever those might happen since the LNC now uh, is what do you even know? Like, I think I got an email saying that they canceled all the reservations and now maybe it's in July at a location TBD, right? Oh, I am following it like a dog following a bitch in heat. Yeah. <laughs> and it hasn't. Uh, there's, there's nothing yet, but we're going to know in less than a week. It was canceled. Yeah. And as far as we know, that's because we weren't sure that we would actually be able to have it happen in Texas because of their social distancing policies and whether or not the hotel was going to be able to accommodate. That mm. may not ultimately be true, but that's what I know. It feels like, you know, considering what's going on, like Texas is still, I know, well, at least Austin is still pretty much locked down. So it's like, I almost want them to look to other places. Like, let's do it in Georgia. You know, <laughs> let's do it in Florida where the WWE is still wrestling. Like, I'd rather than just like take those, like, let's go to Tampa Bay, strip, drug, strip club capital of the world. Very libertarian. So, oh, yeah. yeah, make these other moves so we're not stick, like, you know, stuck in the mud and, and in limbo. Because I know we had, we just canceled our Airbnb. And of course, we couldn't get all the refund back. So we got like half of it back. So maybe we'll go and rebook it later. We just... I don't know. It's, it's aggravating. I almost at this point, I wanted them to just cancel it and just say, look, vote online. <laughs> no, we are fighting against that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It'll probably maybe probably be held in Vegas because they're probably maybe going to be better. able to accommodate us. Yeah. Even close, better. Close for you and I. Yeah. Strippers, hookers, drugs, all the, you know. <laughs> All the libertarian bingo card checkoffs, yeah. they got them all. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, we'll see because I'm looking forward to that, obviously, as a, as a delegate. I actually got a call from Jim Gray uh, and talked to him, which was nice. I'm sure you probably have spoken to him as well. Mm -hmm. uh, very nice man. I, I liked him. I like his position on the drug war. I'm still exploring some other things. And uh, I know Vermin Supreme, I think, is due to call me soon. But, mm. uh, but I didn't bring you on today to talk about these rudimentary libertarian convention politics and policies. I brought you on because you were able to go to the protests here in Los Angeles, the reopen Los Angeles, reopen America protests, which I also wanted to go to. And my wife uh, sternly told me I was not able to, which, you know, maybe she's violating my personal space and my rights, but you know, happy wife, happy life. So I, I catered to her whims and did not go to this protest for the sake of my, uh, my baby child. Uh, which is not my wife, my literal baby child. So I wanted to talk to you and find out what, you know, what went on, what, how many people were there. And I want to hear about the potential counter protest, because as I sent you a link to, <laughs> I thought one of the funniest things in the world, a counter protest from people under the banner of refuse fascism. So oh, yeah. were they there? And uh, tell me everything. Okay, let's start at the beginning. So I got on board uh, fairly early as a co-organizer, which was mm -hmm. great because then I was able to get picked up by the media. Yeah. So I got to talk about it on Wednesday on Spectrum One News with Alex Cohen, mm -hmm. and that spread the word. And it, in my opinion, it legitimized it too because I was able to refute, refute a lot of the Trumpy uh, talking points and that narrative. Yeah. So we got there, and honestly, there were only, I don't know, maybe three Trump flags. 
there were plenty of people that had small Trump campaign signs, mm-hmm. but this their signs were so small and we made about 30 libertarian and just like apolitical signs in advance that we were able to really effectively drown it out. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, and I saw that, you know, when you were posting in Facebook and the, the messaging there, I thought it was a very smart move because it's, you definitely do not want to be lumped in as far as Trump, because then mm-hmm. you will immediately get discounted. People to, like you said, tune you out, be like, ah, oh, these nutballs rather than people that are concentrating on what's best for the overall populace, you know, what, what is happening to the civil liberties. And, and I mean, you look at places like, well, we'll get to Michigan later. Sorry, keep going. Sure. Hey, keep telling the tale. So we set up, as I warned everyone in advance, and I got about 100 inquiries about this thing, by the way, especially after being on the news. It was really Mm -hmm. beneficial. I got about 100 inquiries, and I told everyone we were going to set up under the trees, not directly in front of the courthouse. So we had our libertarian banner there. I had a cart full of economics literature, (laughs) Kokesh's freedom book, free posters. Half of them said libertarian, half did not. They were just like, reopen Los Angeles, reopen Mm -hmm. California. Uh, 72 buttons that the good friend worked literally all day stamping, you know, <laughs> with libertarian slogans and hashtags. Uh, they, they couldn't get to 100, lazy ass. Come on, stamp faster. I ran out of materials, so I'm a, I shouldn't be in charge of the Liberty Factory, but oh, I'm what you got. So I would say, you know, we got there about 11 o'clock. We were one of the first three people there. And mm-hmm. by 1130, Hordes of people poured in, and by twelve thirty, I would say we had about seven hundred people. It wow! Was fantastic! Wow! I would have never have thought that many people would have come out. I was saying in my brain, I was like, okay, this is Los Angeles. You know, the majority of people here are just absolute far left hacks. You know, or they're going to be people that are going to be more of the lower income level that are going to be striking for get rid of rent rather than coming out for reopen America, but. Clearly, I was wrong. Um, I thought they would top out about 200. So what was the makeup of the crowd? It was mostly people with American flag gear, reopen America. I would say that most of them, more than half were Republicans, Mm -hmm. but we didn't have Republican garb all over everyone. It was just mostly Americana. Mm -hmm. I could just tell because they were all rolling with the few people who had Trump signs. Yeah. But we also had a really good libertarian contingent. I'd say maybe 100 of the people there were probably libertarian. Mm-hmm. Small L Liberty people, uh, RLC people, because I contacted so many of them. Yeah. And we also had people with signs that said Democrats against Newsom and signs that said, I'm an illegal immigrant. I need a job. I can't get unemployment. A lot of that, too. So it was a mixed bag. And then, of course, we awesome. had, yeah, we had one woman on a standing on a like a cement platform screaming Wu-Tang through a megaphone. <laughs> well, I can't argue with that. I love the Wu-Tang Clan as well. Um, now, I, I'm, I was going to ask, my follow-up question was going to be, how many people and then what was you know, the racial makeup? Because the way the media, of course, is going to try to spin this and the way Newsom would spin it and LA, you, you can just see the writing on the wall is this is only angry white people coming out. You know, the angry white man, even though you, of course, mm-hmm. are an angry white woman. But what was the, ra- you know, the racial breakdown here if you had to... I take a a glance. It was probably a little more than half white people. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of Latinos. Mm -hmm. We're in Los Angeles, and you know, like narrative people who cling to the narratives, you know, like it or not, there are a lot of Latino people who vote conservative. Mm -hmm. There were plenty of Latino libertarians. Um, There there were Asian people there. There were definitely a handful of African American people. It was not just all white people. Oh, you know what else was really interesting is there were people with children, families there. 
Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting to see kids saying, I want to go to school. Uh, kids who were telling me it was their first protest. I interacted with as many people as I could to get really short, like, what's your story? Yeah. And try to tell people I'm with the Libertarian Party. We officially support this protest. So it was what a really you, mixed bag. Yeah. What would you say the response was to that? I mean, was it a good fertile ground for recruiting people to our ideas? Would you say? I mean, oh, people yeah. were, I mean, because that's another thing I want to ask you while we're talking about this. Um, and then, then we'll get into some of the more the wacky uh, stories from around the nation. But I'm, I, for me, I looked at this at first and I go, okay, you've got half the people who are going to say, I just, no matter what, I'm scared. The media has conned me into believing that this is the one way to go and government authority is the absolute uh, answer to everything. And I'm also getting paid better to sit on my ass because a lot of people are getting that extra money from the federal government on mm-hmm. top of unemployment. And it, it's actually paying worse to go back to work. So you got that contingent. But I'm starting to see more and more people actually come around and say, this is insane. You know, for the government to do this, to rack this up, to tell us we can't go out, to close the bars, that we have to wear masks constantly. Like, I'm actually having friends of mine that were not libertarian, that I've had arguments Mm -hmm. about, coming over to our side. And they're not doing it slowly. They're doing it very quickly and in mass. So, I mean, are you seeing a little bit more of that from your friends and, you know, and the feedback from this event? Oh, yeah. I have had friends... I haven't had any friends who were rabidly opposed to it come over, but friends who were sort of on the fence, who were definitely abiding by all of the rules, they're starting to come over because it's sort of, you know, everyone is different. Everyone has different reasons. What I'm seeing is people are just financially getting screwed over Mm -hmm. because not everyone is getting more money from unemployment. Not everyone got their stimulus check. I I know I have it. I mean, we live in Los Angeles. The the cost of living here, like if you're making $100,000 a year, you are solidly middle class. I mean, you're not even yeah. upper middle class. No. You're middle middle class. And like, yeah. I know my wife and I, you know, we're, we're getting, I think we are getting something. I don't know. I think we're getting it on Wednesday. I actually figured it out. I registered. I was like, all right, if you're giving out money, I'm not going to not take it. Give me my tax money back. So I know we're getting something. I'm not sure what it is, but it's not the full amount by any means. Right. And I'm just thinking, for people that are stretched thinner, the people that have no, no backup income, that may not have savings, we're always told Americans have less than $400 in savings for emergencies. For those people waiting for the stimulus, and that stimulus being maybe $800 for two people, doesn't right. fucking cut it. No. And, and on top of that, you have the gig economy. Like I, I'm 1099 right now. I'm not sure if you're full-time. Probably you are in your uh, position. <laughs> I no? Oh, really? I thought I your am- law firm uh, would keep you all the time rostered. Oh, I'm 1099 because I dodge my taxes. I just don't turn it in. (laughs) So part of the time, usually every year I end up working on someone's payroll for a a few months and I end up having to claim that or 20 hours a week here and there. So I have to file. Mm-hmm. I don't have, actually, I don't have to file. I haven't filed yet. I'm not going. Yeah. To. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I trust me. I know the benefits of 1099. The drawbacks, of course, though, is if you don't file your full weight is when you try to apply for credit cards versus debt, it can get a little tricky down the road. Yeah. yeah um, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, so, you know, you know, if you did, and I'm not sure if you've been working nonstop, I would imagine probably you have been, uh, I've got to think the legal profession is at least some of it has to be essential. Well, my boss decided, no, we're not essential. So I, I work from oh. home, whatever. But, you know, no. it doesn't really matter. So think about this. It depends on what sort of industry you service. So I tend to service people who are filing wrongful foreclosure lawsuits, people who are, uh, I do a lot of eviction defense, real estate lawsuits, which always shocks people who are progressive and they want to scream, you know, oh, you stupid rich white person. <laughs> I help poor people who are getting evicted. Settle down. <laughs> 
But those people don't have money right now to pay right. a lawyer. Right. Duh, because they are sent home. They've been laid off. Mm-hmm. And not everybody got 1200 bucks, And not everyone's getting unemployment. There's a long line. There's a lot of problems. Big yep. shock, right? Yep, exactly. Well, because I mean, so then you're like me. If you had no income, and, I, and for me, you know, my, my 1099, and I do public relations, as a lot of people know, we, you know, we got slaughtered. We lost virtually everything. Because um, mm-hmm. that's the first thing people cut. You know, they always cut marketing, advertising, PR. Yep. So for me, I said, okay, if I can get in, you know, can I apply for unemployment? And of course, in LA and in most states, or most, uh, you know, California and in most states, they didn't have a system to build up for. Right. So you're waiting, you know, thank God my wife had some income. Thank God I had some savings, a little trickle in here and there to pay my mortgage. Otherwise, I would be waiting. I think finally now I might be getting something in like two weeks. So I would have been like a full two months. What do you do? Oh, yeah. It's insane. So you can see why people in mass in this expensive environment would come out as to your point, you know, 700 people is fantastic. That's enough people that the government has to take notice. That's enough people that the media have to take notice. And I know it was Orange County did one. I know San Diego did one. I, uh, I'm not sure if they did one up in San Francisco. I think Sacramento did one. Huge. Yes. Yeah. Massive. So we see this, right? What have you, now what we were talking about a couple of these stories I sent through, Oh, tell me real quick. The counter protesters. Were they there? Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They were there. I don't recall exactly what time they showed up. It was between probably 1230 and one. Lazy ass counter protesters always rolling in late. I couldn't even see from my position the alleged faction of nurses and people like that. Because the person, the, the group leading the charge with giant banners to block off the street was basically the Communist Party. <laughs> so <laughs> let me give you a real quick uh, primer on that. It was yeah. May Day. So we always right. have workers' rights union people protesting. There's a march every morning, which is also very close to where I live. It's my congressional district. And they literally have a red march in my neighborhood. It's the Communist Party. So they Good day there. to start using a bedpan, throw that out the window like in medieval times. Yeah. It's a little, uh, little chocolate rain. So <laughs> it was pretty peaceful and good vibes until the commies showed up. Mm-hmm. They had giant banners. They blocked off Spring Street. Ugh. And it took about 15 minutes, I think, for the cops to get them off. As far as I could see from where I was standing, there wasn't a single arrest. Right, well, that's good at least. I mean, yeah, you know, I, even, even the commies, I don't root for the police to take too much action. Right. And it's interesting to see. Oh, God. Well, once they cleared them off, there was definitely police tension. And then the cops marched into the street with not full riot gear, but face shields, zip tie cuffs, fire extinguishers. So it really sucked the air out of the room. But within about 20, 30 minutes, we had sort of recovered. The cops stayed there. I didn't see Antifa or or communists or nurses or anybody fighting the police. They seem to just disperse. Like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just thought it was so hilarious that a anti-fascism organization, which is probably somewhat tied into Antifa, of all the things you could be protesting, it's people trying to go out and work, people that are that are being cordoned by their government and forced to stay home, which is fascism. I mean, it's no way around it. This, you know, where the government oversteps civil rights and liberties, suspends the economy, closes down your business and forces you to stay at home. I don't know what else you think it is, but it's like, it's just like when the, when the Antifa people came out against Trump and wanted to, you know, or they marched to take away the guns. And it's like, none of these things make ideological sense. If anything, it's like an exercise in irony and hypocrisy 
It's like something out of a Saturday Night Live skit. Actually, not even that clever. Maybe a Kids in the Hall sketch before they all went insanely left wing. And the Kids in the Hall's coming back, by the way. Interesting to see what they do. Oh, that's pretty cool. Well, and it shows that these people have no historical knowledge of their right. own ideology. Because, you know, and they'll, they'll say, you don't know anything about communism. And I'm like, bro, settle down. I have read... <laughs> More than half of Marx's literature and his yeah. letters, and he's he's repeatedly said, like, don't let don't get disarmed because that's what you need for revolution is your gun. Yeah, exactly. Did anybody there have guns? Did anybody no. try to carry? I mean, I know you can get a concealed carry permit in Los Angeles. I don't know. I'm actually not sure. You might probably know better than I do. I don't know if you can open carry at all here, or if yeah. you'll get arrested on the spot. You may not open carry in the city of Los Angeles. As far as I know, you may not open carry in the county of Los Angeles, uh, which I found, you know, it's pretty interesting because I had some friends and they were not being abrasive jerks, but they were like, oh my gosh, I hope you don't do what, what they did in Michigan. And I said, you should probably figure out whether or not that's legal or something we yeah. could do before you even ask. It, it yeah. just shows that people cling to leftist talking points with really no knowledge of the situation that anyone is in. Yeah. I also, I'll worry that if people did try to bring guns, that it would just be an excuse for Newsom to try to lock things down and oh, you know, yeah. further suspend ammo sales and gun sales. I mean, I know I, I have to wait. It's been like over a month. I'm finally buying a pistol, but have to wait so long to get it because yeah. not only is social distancing, getting an appointment to go to the gun shop took forever. Then you go yes. in and then you wait for the license and that takes extra time now because the government's slowing down the process. It's supposed to only be 10 days. Fucking pain in the ass. Um, but speaking of Michigan, we see what's happened there. I, I had gotten in an argument with assholes on Facebook a bit over these uh, the Michigan people because obviously everybody on the left is like, look at these idiot asshole yahoos and their guns and protesting. And you've got the governor, Gretchen Whitmer, out there saying not only, not only the most insane policymaker, I think, that we've seen during COVID, uh, by far, just random, I don't even know, randomized decisions, a random asshole idea generator is how she decided what you can and can't do during COVID. So you've got people righteously saying, look, this is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Open up the economy. We're, you know, we're dying over here. But you've got her going out now and saying that these people were racists, right? You got to have that. And that they had swastikas and nooses. Now, I did see a picture of a swastika, but it was in reference to her yes. being Hitler. Yes. But it, I mean, are we supposed to believe that people were carrying nooses around here? I mean, do you believe, do you believe that there were nooses there, number one? And do you question anything that comes out of media having seen the way that this gets reported as fact rather than as, let's look into that, you know, prove your point? Because I haven't seen any media pushback to it. Okay, so... I haven't seen any photos of nooses. Have you seen a photo of a Not a one. Okay. Not a one. I will give the caveat that when I organized a protest against the brutal murder of Kelly Thomas in Orange County back in oh, yeah. 20, 2014, I think. Do you want to give a little uh, background? Is a brutal police murder of a uh, homeless man who had homeless, an unstable mental state. Yeah. Very mentally disabled, who screamed for his father, daddy, save me for over 10 minutes while the police suffocated him to death. Yeah. And they beat him so badly that the image is not something that I, I don't think it would be allowed on Facebook. The beating was so disgusting. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really gross. It but would people, violate, it would violate YouTube's policies oh, in yeah. the current era for sure. But people did show up to that protest with nooses. There were anonymous types. This is sort of pre the rise of Antifa. So yeah. people with the Guy Fox masks did show up with nooses for the cops. Hmm. Um, 
you know, obviously that was a uh, pretty extreme, but no one, no one did anything violent. Yeah. Just, just like the Michigan protests. I don't I, believe that there was, there was violence. No, I don't believe there was either. And I mean, maybe in that context, they're saying stringer up, but I have to think, I mean, it, in regards to Kelly, that was what? God, 10 years ago now? That happened? No. 2020, it happened possibly. The, it, was a, it was a long time ago. I, I was just say the, the racially charged rhetoric has gotten even more charged since then. I think, I think people are yeah. cognizant that no protester is going to go unless they are a plant, which is also possible. You know, we did see sure. flag or not false flags, people planted in uh, from the Democratic Party. And I, I wouldn't put it past progressives to come and say, OK, we'll bring a noose to make these people look like they're racist. Yeah. But I can't see anybody that's there for a legitimate purpose bringing a noose, even to say string her up because they know it's going to be misconstrued. It's just insane. Probably not. But if they did, what is that? That doesn't say anything about the other hundreds, well, over a thousand people that showed up to protest. Agreed. We yeah. Yeah. We shouldn't judge a giant group of people who are doing something based on one person's actions. Everyone's an individual. And even setting that aside, the group was pretty well behaved. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. Um, let's talk real quick about the lawsuits going on. Now, I know yeah. you're not a lawyer. You work with the law, but there's two beach cities. Uh, I actually went down and visited Laguna Niguel to go hiking this weekend uh, because I said, oh, the Orange County people are going to leave me the hell alone. But Orange County and Huntington Beach and Dana Point. Now, Huntington Beach is a little bit, mm, I'd say, 45 minutes outside of Los Angeles proper. Dana Point's a little farther down, close yeah. to San Diego. Um, they both heard emer held emergency council city meetings, city council meetings. <laughs> so I just fucking lose the way to read. My brain's flip-flopping. Thursday afternoon, some ordered county beaches closed starting Friday. And the reason that they did this was, of course, because they have some of the lowest rates, I think statistically, especially uh, Huntington Beach, some of the lowest COVID spread rates of any place. I mean, lower than almost any, any state could, could hope for. And they reject outright his being able to dictate that these beaches close. So what do you think of the lawsuits? Do you think they'll succeed? Do you want to give any uh, oh, yeah. off-the-cuff oh, yeah. legal insight? Let's dig in. Yeah, do it. So I'm a paralegal. I've been a paralegal now and working in the legal field for over 10 years. I also, eh, I'm just going to throw this out here because I don't care anymore. I practice law under the table without a license. I can't represent you in court, but I do a lot of work <laughs> for people because you can't afford an attorney most of yeah. the time if you're poor and you really need one. Yep. I haven't reviewed either of the Huntington Beach or Dana Point lawsuits fully. I just kind of scrolled through, but I did read a previous one that was filed against almost every county supervisor in Southern California. And the allegations are basically that it's not constitutional. And mm. it's also not constitutional at a state level. And this has been a big argument between uh, people, you know, in the Libertarian Party of California, which I'm very active at the state level as well, because people are wondering, well, is it constitutional at the state level? Maybe we just don't like it, but it's legal. And I would contend that it is absolutely not. Mm. Because there are provisions. I'm not going to start spouting off civil code. I, I I actually would like to hear it. I think it's a good edit. I mean, if you know it, you don't have to. I don't have to put you on the spot. If you know it and you can give it tidbits, I say welcome it because I'm not a you know state um, legislations uh, scholar in any way, and I'd actually like to hear it so that I have mm. better arguments. I don't have the case law or the civil code pulled up right in front of me, and I don't have it memorized yet. Uh, gist. Not... Give me the gist. The gist is. Let's go to the gist mill. Let's do the gist. And this has also been mirrored at the federal level in a few other cases. I don't believe there's anything recent. But the gist is, 
that the governor has the power to suspend certain rights and things when there's an emergency, so a viral epidemic. Uh, we could even look back to to other sim- similar <laughs> asterisks. Yeah, yeah. Similar situations in the past, and it's for safety, but he's got to do it in the most minimally invasive way possible. And the arguments that are being made, some of them, are that this was not done in the most minimal amount <laughs> possible. This was extreme, and there's no data to back it up, and it's harming people, and it's, you know, it's over the top. Mm-hmm. So in the legal field, you're allowed to do what's called plead alternate theories of recovery. So you can make multiple arguments. They all get sorted out at the end, what the truth is by a jury. But you can say, this is unconstitutional at the state level because X. And it hurt people. So that would also make it unconstitutional. And it did this. And it's a breach of contract. And it doesn't say that the governor can do blah, blah, blah. You really go into the weeds. Mm -hmm. I believe that there are multiple arguments in the lawsuits and that they absolutely have merit. The challenge will be once it goes before for circuit courts, because most judges, not all, most judges are going to lean left and they're going to be yeah. what, what are called activist judges. Yep. They're not going to rule by the book. They're going to do what their heart tells them to do. So good luck to Orange County. They have less activisty judges mm-hmm. on their appellate level. And so I, I hope, you know, that it works out. They stand a better chance than we do in L.A. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Good information. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you gone out? Have you violated uh, any of the the local curfews or not the local the local laws about wearing masks and not going into parks? Have you said screw it and, and thrown caution to the wind as I have? Left and right. <laughs> I spend a lot of time cringe. I spend a lot of time in Newport Beach. Ah, okay. Yep. Yeah. That's where my significant other lives. Uh, oh, I was going to ask you about finding a good libertarian man because I see your Facebook status updates. Always always churning and burning, Angela. I know, I know. No, not me. No, I sunk my claws in. Oh, tell me he doesn't have a Fox racing sticker on the back of his truck because I know everybody oh. in Orange County gets one at birth. No, no, no. He's not from here. He just lives here because he oh, okay. lives right, close to the beach. He just moved here and it, like his first libertarian like thing in a long time was the convention. Ah, okay. So he was like, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, the, the chick screeching at the microphone like <laughs> about bylaws, fine. Whatever gets you off. <laughs> ah, I love it for a sight. <laughs> yeah. Well, good, good. I'm glad yeah. you're going out. I mean, it's, I mean, it is, and I think you're seeing a lot more of that. You're seeing more people get out there. I think this is like the biggest, you know, they're looking at like satellite photos and I, mm-hmm. I guess people, you know, certain available cell phone data and heat signatures or whatever, saying that people are getting out. So I think that. Yeah. Like we were talking about earlier, people are being drawn more to the libertarian thinking on this the longer it goes on. And also, people are just getting fed up. And, and I think are. it's going to boil over very soon. They are. And, you know, like a funny thing that I do is this is my mask, which <laughs> people listening can't see, but it's completely see-through. Yeah. But there's no, there's no rule about what it has to be. You can use a mm-hmm. scarf. It doesn't say how thick it has to be. I can't breathe very well in those things. They make my nose run. Yeah. And then people look at me like I'm with some disgusting disease. Oh, you've got coronavirus. Well, no, I just can't breathe in a stupid mask. My wife is like, you know, we went out walking the dogs around and she, I, I don't wear the mask unless I'm going in a store. And that's right. not because I think I'm going to get sick. I don't care. It's just for either. other people's yep. peace of mind. But we're going walking the dogs and we're running, you know, jogging in this green belt area around us. She's got the full mask on and it's like thick. It's like a oh. like a triple ply. And it's just like Ow. she's just breathing her own gross breath in jogging. Ow. I'm like, I can't, Ow. can't do it. Ah, so uh, no. disgusting. So disgusting. 
Um, yeah, look at this perfect transition. Uh, what else is disgusting is just to wrap us back up to the general topic. Uh, these mayors, these governors, threatening people with jail, threatening to lock them up, and also. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the video I sent you in New York uh, City, but an NYPD officer, basically, you know, somebody was violating, quote unquote, social distancing. The guy tackles him in a crosswalk, holds him down, and just is like, you know, kind of beating the crap out of him. Insane. And, and it's, I mean, if we're, if we're standing too close to somebody, I mean, have we violated the, the laws of the police? And I mean, sting and don't stand so close to me. None of it makes any sense. Cops at the LA protest didn't wear masks. They certainly didn't social distance. They were just like sardines in a can. Yeah. Chit-chatting. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Have you seen how politicians are all clustered together in press release? Oh, of course. Of course. Ooh, mask. Ooh, yeah. camera time. Ooh, exciting. Well, it's like, you know, even the people that were counter-protesting, right? I'm sure they were all were wearing masks, but at the same time, they're saying that they're risking their lives, right? I remember reading this. They said they were risking their lives to come and counter-protest for the good of humanity. I'm sure they were all young and stupid, as most counter-protesters, sure. this type of thing are. That means they were in zero danger, unless they all yeah. had diabetes, unless they all had uh, some sort of ancillary breathing problem. They were not in danger. They were risking nothing. They're risking other people's lives by getting in the way of opening up the economy. It is peak idiocy. And all of the violent police action, just like the guy in, was it San Jose, who was arrested for paddleboarding? Oh, paddleboarding, yeah. Right? By himself, yep. with no one, no one close by. It just shows that, that police and governments are taking this as an opportunity for a power grab. Yeah. I would love things to go back to normal. It makes me appreciate what I, you know, what I thought I was fighting for freedom for and before all of this crap happened, but I see now that it's going to be a real fight to even just get back to that because yeah. the government is so excited about this opportunity they have to keep their, their boot on our neck. Oh, of course. And it's just like the war on terror or any other quote. I mean, there's a reason they're calling this a war and it's because a war can be open-ended, especially when you don't have a defined enemy. We're fighting a virus that we can't see. We have to trust the modifications. We have to trust yep. the tracking apps. We have to trust big yep. daddy government to tell yep. us when it's okay. This is an open-ended war if I ever, if, if there was ever an open-ended war, this is it. So, you know, like you said, there's no reason for the government to give up any power. They're clearly, I mean, it was supposed to flatten the curve, right? That was the, uh, the intent of this. The curve's mm -hmm. been flattened. The hospitals yeah. are, are perfectly fine. So why are we not walking around? Yeah, they're empty. Why are we not walking they're, around? Yeah, because now we have, this is even better for the government than the war on terror. Because the yep. invisible enemy isn't abroad. It's right here and it floats among us. Mm -hmm. It gets in us. It gets in us too. So it's, you know. It's going to be like ghosts. The next enemy is going to be ghosts. If they're among us, they get inside you. They take control of you. Watch out. Oh my gosh. I'll give you legal updates about how that can play out too. Believe it or not. People do <laughs> sue over ghosts. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah, another time. I might seek your advice on that soon. Yeah. All right. Anything, what else? Uh, any final thoughts? Like I said, we'll do about a half hour, then I'll, I got, I'll do breaking news stuff on my, uh, on my own some tomorrow before the show airs. But, um, you know, any other final thoughts on this and also anything you want to talk about upcoming that you want to promote either here in Los Angeles or that you're doing personally? Yeah, I just want to remind people to go out. And even if you don't want to be as bold as just, you know, trespassing on the beach like I do. <laughs> Do what you can, do what you're comfortable with. Because even incremental approaches, as long as you're pushing the Overton window in the direction of freedom, it's really helpful. Mm -hmm. And I am planning some sort of protest for Memorial Day weekend. 
I don't know what day yet, but I'm going to decide that really soon. If you are interested in actual liberty activism, the Los Angeles County Party is, uh, we have passed a resolution condemning it. We, we passed a motion saying that we supported the protest. We're making things happen. I'm working on a, a proposal to take before the city about trying to give small businesses tax breaks during this. So yeah, yeah. check us out, lplac.us. There you go. Last question. Justin Amash coming in the race. What do you think? Oh, man. Uh, I, I really like Justin Amash's track record. I'm not excited right now based on his interviews and some of the stuff that he's saying in his uh, social media and the emails that he's sending out. It's kind of milk toast, and I am. It's it's a little Gary Johnsonish. How's that? All right, there you go. It's from Angela McCardle. All right, Angela, thank you so much. The chair of the Los Angeles Libertarian Party. I loved having you on the show. I apologize; it's taken so long. No, oh, no worries. Thanks for having me. All right, talk soon. Hey, let's uh, just take a quick pause here in the show so I can ask you a little something. Who do you love? What do you love? Are they people? Because I have a podcast to share with you. It is from a, a longtime friend and Lions of Liberty fan, supporter on Patreon, a TV producer and a filmmaker who has a podcast called People We Love, the one and only Adam Choit. You guys have probably seen him active in our forum and also around. If you've come to any of our events in Los Angeles, Adam is always a staple at those events. So with the People We Love podcast, Adam, he's got these fun and loose conversations with people from all walks of life. Uh, a lot of the time it's stand-up comedians who you know, Talking stand-up comics is great. That's why you guys tune into this show. Listen to me, yipping and yapping. But he also talks about other people in the entertainment business in Los Angeles where he resides. But what makes this more of a unique show is, uh, you know, not only do you hear fascinating and revealing stories about the lives and careers, but also Adam asks that each of his guests highlight someone that they love, someone who inspires and influenced them. So, you know, everybody's talking about things from their moms, their dads, their mentors, friends, comics they grow up, and other public figures who were inspirational. And even though it's mostly comedians, Adam's also had on professional athletes, musicians, reformed ex-convicts like our own John Odermatt, and even members of his own family. I'm sure those are labeled and you could probably avoid them, <laughs> just like when I had my dad on this show. <laughs> anyway, check it out. At People We Love Podcast on Instagram and People We Love Podcast.com. Um, yeah, check them out. Subscribe everywhere iTunes, uh, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Check them out. All right, coming back in here, coming in hot. Again, the show notes for today's episode talking about the protests and all the topics Angela talked about, as well as the things I'm going to hit on here for the last half hour of the show lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL175. And I want to hit on a couple more COVID topics before I get into the Michael Flynn stuff and a couple of other things. Now, what's interesting, I saw this article, and I'm going to talk about it in a second, but police came in and seized the guns of a man who was online talking about a Bill Gates 5G vaccine conspiracy theory. So they took his guns and they held him, right? Because apparently this man can't be trusted He's falling under the red flag laws, which I oppose wholeheartedly. And if you have a conspiracy theory about Bill Gates and 5G and vaccines, well, I guess you got to be jailed. And of course, I don't agree with that. But what's funny is that we've got Bill Engdahl or William Engdahl at globalresearch.ca pointing out things that I was already aware of, but pointing out more associations that I was uh, than I was cognizant of. 
And that the two major models being used since coronavirus was introduced to us in Europe and the United States to predict and respond to the spread of the illness were developed at the Imperial College of London by Neil Ferguson, who, by the way, head of the MRC Center for Global Infectious Disease Analysis at Imperial College. Neil Ferguson, who told us that you know, 200 million or 2.2 million people were going to die in the United States alone from COVID and 200,000 in the UK guesstimates which could not be more fucking wrong in any realm of contemplation. No matter what alternative universe you go to, they're still going to be fucking wrong. And this asshole also, by the way, just resigned and stepped down because, oh yeah, he was caught violating his own social distance protocols, which he recommended everybody take during this lockdown, which has destroyed the economy and put 30 billion people out of work in the United States alone. Because he was having an affair. And his mistress came over to his house and he got busted. Ha 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 ha! Oh boy, irony is enjoyable. And that is some fucking delicious irony. So anyway, this asshole uh, over at the Center for the Global, Global Infectious Disease Analysis, in conjunction with another uh, organization, which is the University of Washington, and their health metrics, are, I'm sorry, the University of Washington Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, right? Both of these are relied upon by, quote unquote, or as, quote unquote, experts in their field to tell the politicians what to do. Politicians who are notoriously stupid and ignorant in every possible manner and tend not to know jack shit about anything, especially economics. And not to be expected that there are experts in pandemics either. But at the same time, these experts have been giving us shockingly, staggeringly wrong numbers. And they happen to be in a position to draw billions and billions of dollars in funding from politicians responding stupidly to these scare tactics rolled out. And this, by the way, both of these organizations have a notorious reputation for overstating how bad pandemics will be. They did it with SARS. They did it with H1N1. They did it with everything out there. They always say it's going to be gloom and doom, the end of the world. And then it turns out that just like with this one, it's not. But unlike with every other pandemic that they've warned us about and tried to uh, to take these draconian measures, this time around, the government actually followed suit. So anyway, the interesting thing linking these two organizations is that they are both funded by ah Bill Gates and Melinda Gates. Yes, they're both funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and both stand to benefit greatly by virtue of millions and billions of dollars in investment, in vaccine purchases, etc., from governments as this pandemic spreads. So these two organizations rely on funding from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which, of course, is tied in with these vaccines. And, you know, Bill Gates has been telling people, he's basically predicting what has happened. He's been, you know, this Exercise 201, or I'm sorry, not Exercise 201, Event 201, which was a global pandemic exercise which took place only a few months ago. And which Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, in conjunction with Johns Hopkins and the World Economic Forum, put out this pandemic saying that this thing's going to happen. They wrote the script for everything that's going on here, and we're seeing it play out fairly closely. Now, Bill Gates, of course, is also advocating for people to have the mandatory vaccinations, to have chips put in your hand that can track if you've been vaccinated or not, to have vaccine uh, passports. All of these insane technocratic measures that government seems far more open to going along with than you would hope that they would, and which everyday citizens are rightly questioning and should be terrified of. But isn't it a fantastic coincidence that these two organizations in the UK and in the United States 
both put out wildly inaccurate claims and wildly inaccurate models projecting that we're going to have some sort of massive society-ending circumstances take place when they both stand to benefit majorly by government spending, by investment in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which they then pass through to these two organizations. I mean, incentive's a hell of a thing, is it not? Then on top of that, right, you've got these clear connections between these organizations, clear incentives to make money, clear incentives to spread misinformation, to get everybody to sign up, to get vaccines so they can be tracked. And you've got Bill Gates on record saying they should be tracked and we should put chips into people's hands to do so. And then in San Diego, you have a guy, a California man, right? He's trying to buy some gu- some ammo for his guns and he was denied because a they obtained a gun violence restraining order against him. So there you go. Don't tell your friends and family uh, if you have plans or if you have any sort of doubts about Bill Gates because those assholes will go and turn you in. But he said he's got a plan to arm himself during the COVID-19 pandemic, which makes sense. I'm also arming myself. I'm supposed to get my pistol in the 10th. But he says that this whole thing is an elaborate hoax to scare Americans into vaccines that made people trackable through 5G towers. And he became mad when they denied him a purchase of ammunition. So they jailed him for psychiatric evaluation for three days. So as you can see, a little bit of a double standard here, wherein you're not allowed to have a conspiracy theory. You're not allowed to voice a conspiracy theory, which seems to be very well based in actual facts. Number one, that Bill Gates is advocating for this sort of thing and real-life scenarios that we literally saw them planning out months ago under this exercise 201, uh, you know, global pandemic. What would happen? Oh, what would happen? We don't know. (laughs) We're just guessing. (laughs) God, it's ridiculous. So I hope that man is now free walking the streets. I hope he can get himself a gun and ammunition, anything else he needs to uh, remain safe against Bill Gates. I know I can't wait to get my gun to stay safe against Bill Gates and his vaccination craziness. Uh, One more COVID story, just real quick. Uh, The head of a very well-respected hospital in Pittsburgh, the UPMC, the hell does that stand for? (laughs) What an annoying story on Pennsylvania Live. UPMC, I think that means University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. It's in Pittsburgh. This guy's a doctor. Anyway, he says that Because this death rate is so unbelievably low, and as he said, it is about 0.25%, way lower than the 4% projected, well, we're going to go back to normal. We're not going to keep people from going to the hospital. We don't expect a giant jump. So, I mean, why wouldn't you? If you're a doctor, if you're in a hospital situation where you're not in a hotbed, and even in New York City, their cases are dropping, they're sending away the naval ships. If you're in all these other hospitals all around the country, we're in now... Even though I might not like the way you make money, I might not like the way you operate with a lack of transparency, I might not like the way that the government pays you out with Medicare and Medicaid and how you're incentivized by insurance companies to bill people more, not less. I may not like any of that. But at the same time, I don't want our hospitals to start failing all over the place. Now, that being said, I am for them failing in a free market environment. But of course, we don't live in a free market environment at the moment. We live in a very COVID dictatorian, uh, technocratic, authoritarian, and I don't know, straight out fascist government right now or a fascist economy wherein we are being told what we cannot cannot do with our economy, what can and cannot be open with our economy. So this isn't free market as you, as you would take it. So under these circumstances, 
why would these hospitals stay open, limit the number of people coming in, and honestly kill people because people are not getting cancer screenings? They're not going in to get screenings for uh, for any number of, you know, maybe diabetes. I was talking about this last episode. All these people are going to get killed because hospitals are not admitting patients to get the routine screenings are coming in. People aren't going in for fear of catching COVID or for fear that they won't be able to be seen during this quote-unquote epidemic. So they're staying at home and getting sick and dying off of other things. So good on this guy. Uh, what's his name? Dr. Donald Yeely saying, look, enough of this crap. We're going back to normal. Come on in. If you're sick, come in. We'll treat you. Good on you. Why is he the only guy doing this? Why aren't doctors across the nation demanding this? Okay, last thing to wrap up the show. How can I not talk about what has happened to Michael Flynn? Now, since the very beginning of this, I have been very vocal in saying that this entire Trump investigation, this whole Russiagate thing was a hit job, that it has without a doubt been a deep state coup against Donald Trump. And only the most tedious, deranged assholes would argue otherwise. And we saw with the Mueller report come out or the Mueller report come out, laid it bare for anybody to take a quick glance at it. And you can see that this was a setup, that there was no actual evidence to come into play here, that the FBI had put into place all these different pieces to try to make a case against Donald Trump, wherein there was no case. There was no quote unquote collusion. There was no anything to be found. There was all smoke, no fire. And the one real fallout of this wasn't that Donald Trump didn't get to be president. Clearly he did. It did cost him about two years of, uh, of potential progress with his agenda, whether that's for good or bad, who's to say. But the real fault was that people like Roger Stone got put into jail for, for perjury and other bullshit. People like Michael Flynn get sentenced to jail for lying to the FBI. You know, because we can't lie to the government, but they can lie to us nonstop 24-7. And so we're seeing now in unsealed documents that, of course, the FBI wanted to remain hidden and, thank God, have finally been forced to be released. But we see in these handwritten notes and emails and all these other different ways of communication between FBI members, including an official report, by the way, the original report the FBI was supposed to submit to General Flynn's attorneys, and which they never did. And we found now, through the release of these emails and through text messages from Peter Strzok, that even the quote-unquote official transcript of what went on between General Flynn and, and these other guys, that was heavily edited, heavily edited. And Peter Strzok is on record talking to his lover, Lisa Page, about how he edited it down and he sent it to her. And she's like, this, you have to make it readable. You have to, you have to really, you know, advocate for this and make it look like he's super guilty. And Strzok's basically like, well, you should have seen it before I get, went through and rewrote the entire document and made it sound like Bill Priestap. Put it into his voice. I mean, the guy literally rewrote the entire goddamn transcript to try to reenact or re uh, reanimate Bill Priestap's voice in text form. And you know what I'm talking about? Is and you know, as if you're a writer, you have a voice that is famously yours. If you're writing something, you know, a lot of your sitcoms that you might enjoy. I'll use Rick and Morty since I talked about it earlier. It has a very specific way of speaking. Every character has its own cadence. Just the way things roll out are very specific. Of course, people talk in that manner as well. If somebody is going to write a transcript of me, it would have a hell of a lot of cursing in it. It would have some very bad jokes, and it would go very quickly with uh, a lot of commas and not a lot of periods. <laughs> James Joyce style, baby. So you have Strzok literally trying to recreate his boss's voice in what he is totally rewriting. 
You know, it's like a manuscript that you hand over to a ghostwriter and then they do their best with it to, to paint the picture that they have in mind rather than what you want to actually go out into the world. Now, that's not to say Bill Priestap is innocent because one of these handwritten notes, the biggest thing really that this handwritten note revealed was that Bill Priestap's got these notes written down that say, what's our plan of attack? And I'm just going, I'm, I'm not going to go verbatim here. I, I've linked to the articles. Actually, I'll open it up. I don't know why, I'm, I, why wouldn't I? But they've got these handwritten notes that Bill Priestap, in his own handwriting, has spelled out what their plan is and their questions. Um, for example, here's the one that is really highlighted in a lot of coverage. What is our goal? Question mark to truth slash admission or to get him to lie so that we can prosecute him or get him fired? Question mark. So, of course, they're going in not with this man's innocence in mind, not with we're just going to sit him down and question him. And this is they told him, you don't you know, don't have to worry about anything. We're going to come in and just do some routine questioning. You know, he's like, okay, I don't need my lawyer. No, you don't need a lawyer there. Don't worry about it. Then they get in there, desperately try try to get him to contradict himself, which he did by misremembering, not even outwardly lying. And the two FBI agents that went in there to actually question him in the initial session went in. They questioned him. They said, nah, we don't think he was lying. But then they go in, try to get him to, to, to flub up, try to get him to, uh, to misremember, which he did. They try to use the Logan Act on him, which is a absolute joke. I mean, it's like you're seeing these things play out with such an obvious agenda to get after Trump and to get after anybody associated with Trump and to keep it obfuscated from the general public, from the president, from the media, from anybody that might might want to question what's going on here or what this agenda might be. And, you know, they even mention in some of these emails, well, we have to protect the institution. Now, the institution doesn't mean the presidency. It doesn't mean the United States. They are specifically talking about the FBI. So they want to make sure that they do this dirty work to try to fuck this guy over. And they want to protect the image of the FBI because God knows our media, our politicians bend over backwards to kiss the ass of the FBI. And maybe that's because they've got a million ways to get back at you. I think is uh, who's it? Schumer said it or Schiff said it in regards to the deep state. Maybe that's why they're kissing ass. But we're seeing this quote unquote institution for what it really is, which is a complete sham a biased political machine that works regardless of what politicians, what elected representatives, what the will of the people might be on its own agenda and on its own whims and only gives a shit about controlling the, the narrative, getting its goals done internally and making sure that the general public still views it as this bastion of, of good and truth. And, you know, all the fine, hardworking men and women out there, even though it's full of liars, shills and fucking thieves. And not only this, but we also see during these transcripts, it comes out that Flynn never wanted to plead guilty. What ended up happening was that agents threatened to throw his son in jail and threatened to dig something up on him. And that's why he said, okay, fine, I'll admit to it and take this, you know, take the plea for, for perjury or whatever it might have been. So these scumbags not only lie, cheat, and, uh, and coerce him into, basically, I mean, so they set a perjury trap for him. But after the perjury trap fails to really get the job done, then they threaten his family. That's your FBI. This is who we're supposed to pretend is looking out for the best interests of the country. I mean, I want to see McCabe. I want to see Comey. I want to see Strzok. I want to see all these people thrown into jail. It'll never happen. I mean, I know, I know William Barr is probably going to look into it. I hope to, that there at least are trials. 
But we'll probably see a slap on the wrist. We'll probably see these assholes sent off to a white-collar prison for two weeks. Home arrest. Full pension. Home arrest. You can still be on CNN from your couch on Zoom calls. Justice is not for the uh, the outsiders that are not part of the deep state. Only the deep state gets the true justice of being able to do whatever it wants and be able to go out, break, break social quarantines, go to the beach, <laughs> go into Costco and not have to wait in line. So just absolutely amazing. So I'm I'm excited to see more of this come out. And I have to think that once this, I mean, there's got to be a trove of stuff that's going through. And every day it seems like more is leaking out. So I'm excited to see the damage done to the FBI's reputation. I'm excited to see General Flynn get some justice. Not And, and again, I don't know what he's done in his past, but I just know in this instance, the man was wronged. He needs to have justice. He needs to be repaid for all of his fees, which of course the FBI has just paid for our, our tax dollars. That's the thing that really rubs you too, right? These fucking bastards go in, screw this guy over. He spends hundreds of thousands of dollars on lawyers and defense and everything else. They wrongly persecute him in this perjury trap. And now what's going to happen? Oh yeah. All his hundreds of thousands of dollars of lawyer fees are going to be repaid from the taxpayers. All of the millions of dollars he'll probably get on top of that. At least he should try to get it in a civil suit to try to get some money for the, uh, the time and, and pain and emotional trauma and jail that he's endured. That's coming out of our pockets. I mean, these FBI guys are really stuck it to us on top of that. You know what? At the end of the day, we're going to have 4 trillion in new debt from people paying out with stimulus, stimulus, uh, payments. And on top of that, add on a few million for general Flynn for what the FBI did to him. Just fantastic. Add on to that debt, man. Uh, let's see. Last things last. Uh, you actually had a Hillary Clinton campaign staffer, uh, fairly high up, call them out for the absolute hypocrisy on supporting Joe Biden through all this, despite the allegations. And very entertaining to see the party turn on itself. I also saw that Stacey Abrams is advocating. Of course, Stacey Abrams is Joe Biden's. People are saying she's the presumptive VP pick. I don't know. She's a a fat idiot. I don't know why he would ever pick her. I think it would be an absolute ridiculous pick. Um, there's better black people to pick because they're saying he has to pick. Actually, I saw a quote that said he has to pick a woman, but she doesn't have to be black. That was from one of the, I think that's the leader of some black caucus. I don't know. Does she have to be a woman? Can you pick a black man? And it's got to be black or a woman. That, that much we know. But anyway, Stacey Abrams is now really stumping to expand the use of vote by mail and ballot harvesting. I've talked about ballot harvesting on the show before. It is absolutely one of the greatest threats to the voting process. If we're supposed to believe in democracy, which of course I don't, but it is our current system of uh, getting things done, despite the fact that we are a republic. If we're supposed to respect democracy and respect this vote, ballot harvesting is the greatest threat because we already saw it play out in some counties here and in Arizona and with ballot harvesting is allowed. All that happens is you have activists and advocates go out, find homeless people, find old people who don't know what the fuck they're doing, or find anybody that's not going to go out and cast a ballot, really. Fill out a ballot with them, get their signature, and then they can either go back, put in a false one once they have their information, their security card, all that other shit that you need to fill out for your uh, your ballot application. I don't know. I've never mailed in a ballot, so I'm not sure exactly what you need. It's probably a very low standard if the Democrats have their way. But you go to these people. You, you tell them you're filling out the ballot. Uh, you, you talk them into voting for your candidate. Or if not, if you don't like what they voted for, oh, you just throw it in the fucking trash. I mean, are we really supposed to believe that the people going door to door specifically because they want to turn X, Y, and Z blue or maintain a blue control or a red control are really 
just they're in their heart of hearts. They're the most honest people in the world and they're not going to toss out the ballots that go against them. It's the most fucking naive thing I've ever heard in my entire life. So absolutely not. No to ballot harvesting. No to vote by mail. No to any of this. And then last thing, the Pulitzer, Pl- Pulitzer Supplies, the Pulitzer Prize just lowered its own uh, standards again by giving a New York Times essayist a Pulitzer Prize, which falsely claimed that the American Revolution was fought to preserve slavery, saying that some of the people were in there to, you know, some of the people I'm sure were there to uh, preserve slavery, but the American Revolution was not fought primarily to protect slavery, as this woman, Nicole Hannah-Jones, claims in an essay titled Our Democracy's Founding Ideals Were False When They Were Written. Black Americans have fought to make them true. That's the name of the essay. It's a fucking idiotic essay. Of course, this was part of the Times controversial or 1619 project, which has been ass-kissed by uh, your progressives on the left, but picked apart by historical scholars quite severely. This essay specifically had some basic facts wrong, including an incorrect date on the Declaration of Independence. She says it was signed on July 4th. Of course, that is not true at all. But she conveniently leaves out the uh, the real reasons for fighting the Revolutionary War and says that it was solely because they wanted to protect the institution of slavery. This is, I mean, literally, this has been attacked by every single historian. It is pure fiction. Maybe they were, you know, like I said, a small cadre of people that were inspired to fight the Revolutionary War because they wanted to keep slavery, but that in no way was the leading cause. So historians are up in arms. The Pulitzer Prize Committee is an absolute joke, leftist ass-kissing institution, which I have zero respect for, and neither should you. All right, I think that'll do it for today, huh? Okay. So, guys, reminder, listen to all of our shows here on Lions of Liberty, the best variety show libertarian podcast in the known galaxy. Mark Claire on Mondays, as I said, Justin Amash will be on his Monday show, so make sure to tune into that, the the, uh, flagship Lions of Liberty show. I'm here every Wednesday making things entertaining, having a great time with all of you. And uh, I want to thank again, Angela McArdle for visiting with me today and for going out there fighting the good fight. She is awesome. If you have a chance to meet her or interact with her, I know she's going to be at the LNC. Uh, if you have a chance to come any of the you know, California events or Los Angeles events, make sure that you do say hi to her. She's, uh, she's just awesome. And then, of course, John Odermatt on Fridays with Felony Friday. He's going to be getting into the Duncan Lemp story uh, with Howie Snowden's going to be on the show. As A couple of the people from the Lions, I think, are going to jump on that as well. I wish I could. I don't think I'm going to have the time. But tune in. This is an insane story. Uh, we've been meaning to get around to it and finally are. But this is a man who was literally murdered by police in his sleep. And we are finally going to talk about it um, as many people have wanted us to do. So make sure to tune in to John Odermatt and Felony Fridays this Friday to hear that. Uh, Otherwise, that's going to wrap it up, guys. So from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into Liberty. Liberty.